Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's November 19th, 2013. Can you believe the year's almost over? Well, here on our show tonight, we've got the Germans and the Americans. We've got one of the newer breweries from New York State, Rushing Duck, and one of the oldest breweries in, in Germany close to Andex. So this is a very special show. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com. You can check us out anytime, especially on Twitter at beer underscore sessions and maggie's uh tweeting live uh throughout the show so definitely at beer underscore sessions so here we are in, in, in the show it's it's uh some new faces we've got uh nikki and dan from from rushing duck brewery up in chester new york uh one of our favorite new breweries welcome to the show guys thanks for having us and uh we're really looking forward to talking to you tonight um we have jen from girls pint out Hello. so it's like a beer media and uh journalism site yeah, you guys are doing some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the German side, we've got we've got Sylvester from Zum Schneider. Servus. Yes, yeah, Servus. Lars, the importer. Hello, how are you? And our, our father, Valentin, from Kloster Andux. Hello. So let's start talking about this is one of the older older breweries in, in uh, Germany and thus in the world. And Sylvester, tell us about it. You're from that area. Give us some background on the brewery and uh, how it's inspired you in your life's work at Zum Schneider. Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Father Valentin to come over all the way from Andex uh, to be with us this week. Um, it's been quite a piece of work to get Andex a beer here. I'm from there, as you said it, and um, grew up there and uh, basically had my first beer when I was eight years old up there on the mountain, on the Holy Mountain. My parents had visited us from Brazil, and they were heading to Andex and had some mass beers and they were very in conversation and I just uh, was the only kid around so I just took the beers and just tried them out and uh, when we came home they were missing me because I was on the toilet throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us like so you're, it's near Munich it's in it's in Bavaria. It's southwestern Munich it's in an area called das Fünfzehnlands the Five Lake District very very beautiful area um, with five lakes obviously. And Andex is uh, sitting on a very elevated, um, over here uh, you would call it a mountain, we call it a hill. And um, it's a beautiful old uh, monastery on a hill which vi- is visible from many points out there from the lakes. So wh- why did they start making beer? And, wh- and how's, why has the beer been so successful to, to continue for so many why years? Why did they start making beer? Because um, that is just something that makes people uh, easier to deal with. And um, so it, it was one of the most important inventions in the world, and so did they invent it over there in Andex too. Uh, when it comes to the, to the uh, monks, you have to ask some questions, obviously, to Father Valentin, uh, how they see the whole thing about inventing beer in Andex. And then uh, with Lars, too, helping out. So, Father Valentin, so is, is it still, is it only priests and monks who are working in the cloister? No, no, no. There are 200 people who work 
in our monastery in Andex. It's uh, the is the biggest. It's the biggest uh, biggest employer essentially of the monastery and the the biggest part that that brings money into the monastery as well. It's right. original beer and it's uh, beer from the from the monks, also with a great tradition and and it's a old old place. Uh. Mm -hmm. Lars, what does it mean to you? I mean, you guys are importing yeah. at St. Killian's. Uh, I mean, for, for us, it's a huge honor to be one of the two importers into the country. And uh, when we got the importation rights for the beer, it already uh, sparked such an interest from everybody around, uh, especially in the Northeast, where we have the rights. But um, there's a lot of history behind the brewery. Uh, that also translated over here. Andix supplied the uh, the U.S. Army bases in in Bavaria with beer for for many many years, decades, and so there's a lot of people that know it because of that. And just to come back to this one point, why does the monastery have a brewery? It's really to finance itself because the the Benedictine monks don't get money from the Catholic Church, so they they were forced basically to find sources of income. And the monastery is, uh, or the breweries, is uh, a perfect thing to do, and and it, and it combines it really nicely. It says on every bottle, it says "Genuss für Leib und Seele," which means enjoyment for body and soul, and that's really what this is all all about. So, like N Nikki and Dan from Rushing Duck, I mean, you guys are, have a brand new brewery. You know, you you've only been making beer for a little over a year. I mean, what what, what do you want to you want to ask a question of of these old-time brewery. It's a classic, you know, European brewery, and I don't know. Do you have any specific question? Because I'm uh, actually a little bit starstruck because our story isn't anywhere near as romantic as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how do you guys feel about um, variation? I know you guys have the the Reinsgebot. Um You're pretty limited with that, but at the same time, there's still a lot of variety within the ingredients. How do you guys work with that? Well, I, I yeah, I I can talk uh, for one second. Er fragt, wie man das uh, uh, wegen dem Reinheitsgebot mm -hmm. und dass das einen limitiert, aber uh, auch innerhalb des Reinheitsgebots gibt es doch Möglichkeiten, verschiedene Geschmäcker zu produzieren und wie ihr da drauf kommt und wer auswählt und warum die verschiedenen Geschmäcker gemacht werden. Oh, it's it's a Reinheitsgebot und also Reinheitsgebot vom äh, 15-16 und ähm, das ist immer noch heute nach den, praktisch nach diesem alten Rezept und es sind nur verschiedene technische Verfahren. Also ursprünglich war es nur Wasser, Hopfen, Malz und später kam die Hefe dazu und alles andere, zum Beispiel bei unserem Doppelbock Dunkel, da kommt eben ein zwei Maische Verfahren dazu, also es sind verschiedene technische Verfahren, aber sonst ist es immer nach dem Reinheitsgebot gebraut. I understand. <laughs> well, he's saying basically that the Reinhardtsgebot was, was put in place in 1516, and uh, it's still the same thing. The only thing that got uh, added was the yeast, but uh, the different flavors, that was not really answered, unfortunately. Um, die Fragen nach den verschiedenen Geschmäckern, und, uh, also nach dem Doppelbock, nach dem Weißbier, nach dem hellen, helles Vollbier, Spezialhell, die schmecken verschieden. Für die Amerikaner ist es sehr wichtig, weil die versuchen, Biere zu machen, die eben ganz verschieden schmecken mit. You know, da kommt auch mal ein Kümmel rein oder, oder Zitrone oder also, sowas. Das gibt es bei uns nicht. Ja. ja. 
Also das ist sehr malzbetont, das Bier. Weniger Hopfen betont. Diese Bittere natürlich vom Hopfen ist wichtig, aber es ist einfach äh, nur verschiedene technische Verfahren, um den Malz, um den Malzextrakt stärker ähm, herauszuholen und so auch eben äh, stärkere Biere zu bekommen. Okay, so to answer your question, that's, <laughs> I have to answer this all the time with Zumschneider in my, my restaurant, because people do ask that. Uh, because you Americans have uh, developed in the last 10 years a huge potential on uh, microbreweries and uh, you like to play with flavors. We don't do that and we just still don't do that. Um, why? Maybe just because it is an old tradition and it should stay that way, but... Um, They, the only difference is really in the maische, in how much hops get uh, added or which kind of uh, barley or wheat malt is used. Is it roasted Sylvester, for a long so time? Sylvester, so kind of just building time? on this, and uh, I, if you speak German, that they had a really great little conversation. <laughs> We're going to keep talking in, in German and English through the show. Um, so, you know, your, your places, you've always had German beers at Zum Schneider, and, not, and you, you also see the, the American craft beer revolution. Um, you know, that comes back to variation. You know, like I think what they're saying is that American craft beer, we, we make different styles of beer, different flavors, different variations. I mean, do, do all Germans prefer to know that this style will taste a certain way? And this, is there like a, you know, and Lars too? Well, well, what what I wanted to add to the to the discussion, and uh, we had this when uh, Alexander Rice, the brewmaster of Andex, was here. He, his particular point on, on brewing is to brew the the beer to ex to the exact specification. You know, when you talk about a doppelbock, this this doppelbock should taste exactly the way it should have and has been tasting the last two hundred years, and that in itself is a huge challenge, because they've upgraded the the, the machinery, they have upgraded their Their, their processes, and you take new equipment, you can't expect to get the same beer out. So they have to always make a little adjustment, and that's what their biggest challenge is. Also, das ist eben ein technisches Verfahren, zwei Maischeverfahren. Ein Teil der Maische wird herausgenommen, wird ganz langsam erhitzt und wird dem großen Kuchen dazugegeben, der schnell erhitzt wird, und um damit diesen Extrakt vom Malz stärker herauszuholen. The, the Doppelbock is a double concoction uh, uh, process, whereas the uh, Uh, the Dunkelhof is, is also a, a double concoction, but everything else is a single concoction. So, Lars, we, we just tried two uh, Andex beers. So, tell us about the two beers, because this is pretty well, cool. We, we started off with a, with a Helles, which is their, their Munich-style Helles lager beer. Um, it's a fall beer hell. It's the, the lightest of the Helles, uh, lightest in color and lightest in, in, in body, essentially. Lager. Lager. They call it lager, right? yep. basically. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's your lager. But it's very malty as... Um, Pada, Pada Valentin was saying it's um, that's all their beers are towards maltiness and you, you'll definitely pick up a lot of that in the in the Andex uh, Hellas and and we just open up the Doppelbach we're not going directly at, uh, in, in line but this is really the, the crown jewel of the Andex lineup mm -hmm. uh, at slightly over 8% double concoction it's, it's, it's very smooth very thick almost in liquid and this is The most highly rated double bark you can find anywhere. Yeah, yeah. once the three bottles are empty, yeah, we, uh, the radio show is over. I'm going to Zim Schneider tonight, man. <laughs> Cheers to that. And uh, Lars, what is uh, part of Valentine's job at uh, the brewery? 
Uh, Close to Andex. Uh, he should, he should answer that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a priest and uh, I have three parishes. And then I, in the brewery um, at Zellera, at uh, Verwalter, um, He is looking um, at the the business end. He's looking at the business end of the of the brewery, um, including sales, including like the accounts and yeah. communications and mm -hmm. all that. Vielleicht muss man sagen, wir sind eine kleine mittelständische Brauerei mit 110.000 Hektoliter Bierausstoß, mm -hmm. also 11 Millionen Liter. Das ist eher klein und mittelständisch. Yeah. 11 million liters a year. Um, so he just wants to point out that uh, it's not a huge industrial brewery like uh, Hofbra or Palana or Spaten in Munich. It's a small brewery. What do, how do, you, do you guys know? Can you translate liters, uh, Dan? If I had a calculator, I could. <laughs> <laughs> so what's 11 million liters? How much is that? It's about 100,000 barrels. Okay. So it's still considered in the craft range, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then one last thing. So for, for Father Valentine, um, you know, we know about Trappist breweries in in Belgium. Um, are there other uh, Benedictine or Monk-run uh, breweries that you interact with uh, in Europe? Or others that you like? There are only a few real Kloster Brauereien. The others are all in Lizenz. Are there any with Yeah, he said that he they, they're doing about nine percent export. They they there's a brewery in Austria that they um, they work with somewhat closer. What's the name again? Schlegel. Schlegel in in, in Austria. Um, but other than that, there's all the other uh, monastery breweries are they brew their beer in license, so they're actually not involved like Brewery Andex anymore. They have a brewery that makes the product for them. Uh, oh, that's good. Brewery yeah. collaborations are becoming quite a big thing in the United States. Do any of the German breweries collaborate? We um, don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because of InBev, I'm sure everybody heard about it, and uh, numerous other monstrous companies who combine breweries and push them all over the world. Uh, so does Munich with its uh, major industrial breweries. Yeah, we don't talk about those those kind of breweries. <clears throat> exactly. Don't, we don't so, need to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of microbrews, not really. I mean, they all pretty much look for their own distribution and their own... Uh, part of the business. I mean, sure, they would love to be in InBev because be, you'd be all over the world, but uh, that also means huge compromises. And, you but your point, your point was that you were thinking about German breweries collaborating with American breweries? No, no, small German breweries oh. collaborating with other small German breweries. Oh, yeah, that, that uh, Not that yet. Happens, no. But there's some guys, like in, in, in Köln, there's a Freigeist. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some small, small breweries. I think that there's a lot of good things to talk about. One thing I want to say is it's so great having... Uh, Father Valentine on, and we've had a little uh, Auf Deutsch, you know, yeah. uh, talk, and, and we're going to come back in a few minutes to take a short break. We'll be back on Beer Sessions Radio. Children 
clear the halls. This is something I've been through before. You're listening to Southern Pretender by Four Lincolns on Heritage Radio Network.org. So, you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I got Dan and Nikki from Rushing Duck. We got uh, Jen from Girls Pint Out. Sylvester from Jim Schneider and, and Lars and Father Valentine from uh, Closer Ondex. A couple of things I wanted to say. This is such a cool show. We've got uh, a, a new brewery from New York, Rushing Duck, and one of the oldest uh, breweries from Germany, uh, Closer Ondex here. And uh, we're, we're, we tasted a couple of the Ondex beers, and now... Uh, Dan from Rushing Duck is pouring us his, uh, what is it, the, a red double IPA? Dan? It's a Kruvi, and um, it's a red double IPA. Very, very hop forward. Um, I know the German guys were saying that they're not that big of a fan of hop beers. But, um, <laughs> just you. Sylvester. But, I want to uh, give a shout out. Let's, let's take a step back. So it, it's so great having Sylvester from Zoom Schneider on because, you know, he was one of the first, I think, one of the first places in, in New York and definitely in the East Village that uh, he came in and had a beer-centric place. You know, there weren't too many places doing just beer. And uh, for many years, Zum Schneider was a place, if you liked beer, you could go there and get a good beer. And uh, the story for me with my bar, Jimmy's Number 43, was that when I first looked at it, the, it was in the basement. It was old, but the one saving grace is it had, had, had an old kind of beer-only license. And I had to look around and search my soul. It's like everyone, you know, you're running an establishment in New York City. People want liquor. They want wine. And I really liked good beer for a long time. But I wasn't confident enough to open a beer-only place. And I thought, what places do I really like? I said, I like Zum Schneider. I know I can go there and just drink beer. So you know what? It's worth a shot. That that. It, but if Zum Schneider hadn't been there, I probably never would have opened Jimmy's Number 43. So cheers to you, Sylvester. Thank you. Thank you so, so we much. All, we <laughs> all, uh, you know, we all build on the, the backs of our heroes, you know? And uh, oh and God. also going around the room, we've got Lars of St. Killian's, too. You've brought so many great people to us. We, we had our Lebanese uh, brewer, and uh, we've had Andex before, right. and a couple of other guys. We met, did we meet some guy from Scotland, too? Yes, we, we, we were. Uh, you actually had the interview of uh, Norman from uh, the Sinclair Brewery, Orkney. Yes. The Scouts Litter guy, yes, he was online. Yeah, where they would rather drink whiskey, but they make beer too. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He said that. Yeah. Oh, but it's so nice to be in this room with the, the real beer people. But this, this Andex thing, it's so cool. It's like, you know, we, we've. 
I would just I, a funny thing I just did an event the other day with some Belgian beers and we realized that with everyone so into American craft beer we forget how great the classics are there's English there's English Belgian and German traditions and our, and our good friend Horst Dornbusch who's written a lot about German beers uh, we, we, we have hung out and he said you know now I think if American brewery is going to really open they should either embrace English, German or Belgian style and, and stick to it and I think that people are just ready I have a friend who, who's in wine and she's like you know people are just ready to rediscover Bordeaux you know, and the same thing. The other day we did an event, and we, we put out Tropist Belgian beers. And I was like, gosh, you know, when was the last time I had Rochefort 8 or Rochefort 10 or Orval? And honestly, it's been a couple of years. And on Saturday, I just drank, you know, I just drank Trappist-style Belgian beers. And mm-hmm. I'm feeling the same way today, just, you know, drinking some classic classic Germans. And right. I don't know how you guys feel, you know, you representing so many different brands. If, if you're saying that w- which of these countries or styles people might be ready to embrace. I don't know. I mean, and Sylvester, too. Yeah, we're, 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 as an importer, we're definitely looking after the perfect interpretation for the various styles that are well-known to the general public. So we're, we're looking for the perfect triple from Belgium. We're looking for a good double in Belgium. Uh, we found, I think, the best Doppelbach in Germany and uh, certainly looking for great Pilsners and things like that around the world. And um, even our Beirut 961 brewery they uh, we, we signed them on, or we hooked up with them because the beers that they are making are that are they are so spot on. Like the the Hellas is a perfect Hellas, but then on top of that, they they make some pretty amazing beers with local Lebanese, yeah, the Lebanese ingredients Bilal, yeah. that um, that only they can make, and and you know that's kind of what interests us. And then for you, are you traveling the world, or are you just <clears throat> really working in New York? Mostly. No, uh, my colleagues and I, we do travel quite a bit. We go to England, we go to Scotland, Germany, Belgium, France, <coughs> and uh, visit our breweries and, uh, you know, see what they're up to. We're not necessarily traveling as much to look for many new ones, uh, but we're, we're, we're working with our partners. That's what you got me for, right? That's why, well, that's why we're <laughs> so invested. He's our ambassador. But I think I think we should bring Jen in because you know because you were talking about all these different countries and styles, uh, uh, and she. But wait, let me ask Lars first. First, I want to say before that. So, Lars, with your experience, you know the beer we're drinking now from Rushing Duck, and Jen can join in on this too. You know, this is a a, a red double IPA from New York. I mean, with your experience now traveling the world, how do you guys perceive the American craft beers that well, we're tasting? Well, this is this is you know. These uh, very hoppy IPAs are by now very particular to the U.S. Like there's no other country, not even England, makes these hoppy beers, even though that's kind of where they originated from. It, not in that quantity, you know. But um, so I think I, I look I look for IPAs that American IPAs that are that are well-rounded, not not overly aggressive, and this this works pr- fairly well. I, I give that a, a, a B plus. And Jen, so so far we we've tried German beers, and now we're on to American. And tell us how you fit in, what you guys are doing with girl, girls pint out. So we're uh, an all female. Well, we can get to that later, but a female oriented beer appreciation group, just kind of trying to close the gap between you know the ranks of uh, men who drink craft beer and women who drink craft beer. And we do fun monthly events, and we have several chapters around the nation. It's just kind of grown organically. But um, I say, uh, you know, women loosely because we did have a guy one year in Houston a couple years ago have to come in drag to attend a rare beer tasting. And he did, and he got, like, the best protection from his fellow women. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. 
So, so you're, you, are you, do you feel like you're exposed to a lot of different styles of beer, or are you just kind of learning the beer scene? Well, I'm no, I'm a, a beer trade reporter by day. I, I write a newsletter called Craft Business Daily that covers the business of craft beer across the nation. So, yeah, so this is like a side Do you project. publish that, or does someone else publish that? We, it's like, I call it a white paper, because people are like, oh, you write a blog, but... I mean, no disrespect to blogs. It's just like a different model. It's an industry. So what, right. what are you covering in that? We cover who's buying. Sales, who's, numbers. Right. Trends. Um, yeah. What's what's hot. You know, I was I had the uh, piggish capitalistic question um, about uh, Ondex is, you know, how far distributed is it and how well is it playing in the U.S. right now? I, that was that was my that's what I was wondering. Just, oh, you know. Well, we really just started bringing it in a couple months ago. Oh, okay. So it's not very widely available yet. We've uh, just received our third container into the country overall. So uh, we're at the very beginning of this whole venture. Very cool. Uh, there's two importers, our, ourselves, St. Killian, on the East Coast, and another importer that covers the West Coast and the rest of the country. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. I always wonder those things, you know, because... Yeah, you have the old craft and the new craft, the old school and the new school, and, you know, it's always interesting. So you're one of those secret, you, you act like you're just this beer enthusiast, but you really know <laughs> a lot about the industry. So what, tell us some numbers. What, what do you know oh, about the, the beer industry? Oh, what? Like maybe I mean, you can teach uh, Dan and Nikki Rushing Duck some things that they would never No, know. I doubt that. No. <laughs> I mean, they live at 24-8, like, try and jam an extra week or day into the week, I'm sure, but... um. Well, no, I was just pouring over IRI and, like, food year-to-day, uh, Symphony IRI, you know, the scan data. And What's that? I, it's scan data. So, like, off-premise, they track, like, the penetration and share of craft beer and, you know, whatever channel, C-stores or So give us, give us some food. numbers. Like. So I think the latest 13 weeks, craft is up to, like, $14, per, $14 share in supers, which is, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. What's super? Oh, sorry, grocery stores. So translate for, so. for states. <laughs> I, like I, this is my world. I Give can't get out of it. I, I translate to I'm like, like <laughs> you're on the radio. So okay. So uh, you know what? A year ago, I think the whole year craft was. What, you mean in the whole country? Right in the whole. Well, for some states, don't scan, but where grocery stores report to scan data, I'm like. I don't know how to break this down. Cause it's like, like baseball home. statistics. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, craft dollar share in supers last year was like maybe 11. And now... 11%? It, yeah, of share, right. Of what like, does that mean? Of- it means, you know, like your piece of the pie of dollars versus other types of beer, right? So craft so, okay. versus domestic premiums or sub-premiums. Or I think they even measure cider in there. So 11% in the supermarket are right. craft beers. Right, right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and then but this then, year, it's it's trending right now at, at 15 share, right? Wow. So that's, I mean, the latest four weeks. The should really be 50. Weeks. Let's get Corona <laughs> yeah, out of right. there. <laughs> Does it include crappy ciders from uh, it, macro You know, every, but every different... Company oh, that tracks this has a different definition as to what they, you know, including craft, that sort of thing. No, cider, I think, is is tracked separately. Um, but, I mean, you know, that's that's probably a lot of overlap. You know, with you're that you're talking a, t- a totally different language. Anyway, Lars, do you even know this kind of stuff? Scan data? Of course you he does. Stuff? Of course he does. I do. I just wouldn't bring it up. Yeah. Why don't you tra- <laughs> so why don't you guys talk so I can understand this? There, so uh, you guys study data all the time? 
Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, we're, we're definitely uh, – we are, of course, in the import segment, and we're very closely monitoring how the import segment is growing. And it, it, it is currently growing at a very low rate, at like 1%. Uh, however, we consider ourselves uh, a segment that's not tracked, which is the import craft segment. Okay. And there's no such tracking so, in, 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 your, in your data as much. So you don't track import craft. So like Ondex is import craft. Right, okay. Ondex would be import craft, but in this – But like Bitburger is not craft. Because that's, like, that's who hard you to say, ask. right? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it. Can't believe you even mentioned Bitburger. I like I like Bitburger, and then one day I got a I got a little flyer that said Bitburger is the number one number one beer in Germany. It, it is the number one draft beer in Germany. But then is that does it still make it craft? And then right, you know, we have so many beers that we like, but. This is, I'm getting way over my head, man. This is like tracking numbers. But it gets, we think that numbers are good because we want to know because we want to support the little guys. We want to, and you know, hundred thousand you know barrels of Ondex is, is still a little guy, so that's good to know. Mm-hmm. So it's important to us to know what the numbers are because if someone isn't really craft, we want to know that. You know. Yeah. I have a question. So is there's no hard and fast rule for what is an import craft brand right i mean is there any sort of like you know the brewers association here defines what a craft brewer is right um but there's no such body right i, I think you could only go by hectoliter output at the end of the day mm-hmm. if you if you want to go that route and 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 set a set a limit at maybe uh two million hectoliters and, right. and say if, if you reach that you're technically not a craft brewery anymore right um that, that's almost two million barrels i think that's reasonably uh that's a high high mark to set um Lars, are, are, are most of the brands that you guys import Technically, like import oh, craft yeah, yeah. brands. There, there, yeah. There's no brand. I think Würzburger uh, that we import is uh, probably among the biggest at like just over 300,000 hectoliter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamsbräu, our organic beer from Germany, does about 200,000 hectoliter. Um, and, and most of the others are way, way less than that. Yeah. Well, Jen, thanks for sharing that. This is the secret. <laughs> Behind Girls Pines Out is this really smart industry analyst. Oh, no, I wouldn't call myself an analyst, but thank you. Thanks. I'm getting scared now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I promise you. Uh, Dan, what did you just pour us? Because this is like a crazy uh, barley wine. Yeah, so we just opened up a, a bottle of our, um, it's called Dog's Bollocks. It's a English barley wine. About 60% of it is fresh, and 40% of it has been aged in uh, used bourbon barrels between 9 months and uh, 13 months old. Well, I'll tell you what, th- this is a great show. We're finished our second segment. We've covered so many things. German beers, imports, data, and uh, <laughs> right now we're drinking Russian duck from uh, Chester, New York, and we'll be back in a few minutes again on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, cheers. Cheers. You're listening to Lackadaisical by Four Lincolns on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Everybody say hi. All right. 
Hey, hey. It's, of course, a full studio here. We're at uh, Heritage Radio Network in the back of Roberta's in uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn. Again, uh, check out heritageradionetwork.org. I think there's a membership drive. If you become a member of Heritage Radio Network, you get a lot of benefits, including uh, fun discounts and uh, the chance to learn more about our shows. I, mean, I have to say that right now there's over 20 shows that are really awesome. There's a great cheese show, farm show, chef shows, um, and, of course, us, Spear Sessions Radio. We're going on almost four years now. So uh, we, lo- we love being out here at Heritage Radio Network and Roberta's every week. And uh, we've got some new producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy. So a lot of new things happening. But in the studio tonight, uh, we've got the Germans versus the Americans. We've got uh, you know, Zum Schneider and, and Close to Andex. And we have uh, Rushing Duck, a new small brewery from Chester. So uh, Dan and Nikki, you guys, we met this year. You guys are, are seven-barrel system. We're talking about you know, numbers and what's craft beer. But you're a seven-barrel system up in Chester, New York, on the Hudson Valley. Um, so how many how many barrels of beer are you guys going to make this year in 2013? Uh, we're projected to make about 800 barrels this year, and um, if you want to do the math, seven barrel system. So we're brewing all the time. Yeah. So what are you doing here in New York? <laughs> <laughs> I woke up at 4:30 uh, uh, to brew and then get here. But it's hard, you know. We, uh, a lot of the, the the new breweries we like are like you, you know. There's Barrier in Long Island, and you know our buddies in Queens Bridge and Tunnel, you know. That there's guys that are making beer and delivering it and all that stuff. So you guys have actually f- figured out that already you have someone distributing for you, right? Yeah, we're we're a two person operation. Me and Nikki are the entire brewery f- from a day to day point of view. And early on, we started up. We we were uh, we were distributing the beer too. I was piling it in the back of a pickup and I was driving around dropping the kegs off. And it got to a point where I was I was on the road delivering the beer more than I was brewing it. And we kind of had to look at each other and stop and be like, this doesn't make any sense at all. So uh, we were either going to hire a, a sales rep and a, a delivery person or, or sign up with distribution. Distribution made more sense. So are you making beer day and night? I mean, how, many, how, how much are, are you brewing each week? We have four fermenters total. And if there's ever a fermenter open, it needs to be filled. Um, demand is way out of supply. Some background on these guys. Um, a good buddy of mine, James Ty, who's a, a, a Cicerone certified dude who uh, got hired by Yonkers Racetrack to – to, to put together a, a program of 100 New York State breweries, and he's done it. Real great guy, and he'll be on our show coming up soon. But James Ty, uh, last summer we were doing some events in Hudson Valley, and I talked to James, and he recommended a number of new uh, New York State breweries, and, and you were one of them, and that's how we met. So uh, we can't keep track with all the New York State breweries. I mean, forget the rest of the country. We know that the growth in American craft is the nano breweries and, and the brew pubs, um, and every region's having great new you know up up and coming people like you guys but just just to keep track in new york is amazing you know on long island alone in new york city and hudson valley and forget the rest i mean i was at cooperstown belgium come to cooperstown last summer and uh, they did such a great job of embracing so many like upstate small breweries it, it's just the the growth is amazing and it's it's interesting and what i like as opposed to following numbers like the last thing we were talking about numbers of the industry and all that is that actually it's a, it's a personal thing where you guys are actually making your own beer and uh, so w- my first question is what put you guys were you a home brewer first and what m- made you go over from home brewer to being a licensed commercial brewer all right we're going to get back into uh, the the, or- <laughs> the deep origins of russian duck uh, it started when I was 19. I was in college, and I was really unhappy with all the, the mass-produced beer I was drinking. So I decided to, uh, to, to go out and conquer the world and brew my own. <laughs> but um, the first couple batches, I definitely have to say, were completely undrinkable. 
but I realized there was room for improvement. And, uh, you know, I, I got more and more obsessed with it, and I realized I was really unhappy with what I was going to school for. And I got out of college. I went pro right away. I got a, a professional brewing education. And, you know, the next step was to, uh, to jump in and open our own. I wish you could see how Lars is opening the beers right now. <laughs> He's like using one, one bottle to open another right? bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, what, so what made the jump from... Uh, from Lars, you, you, did you work on the construction sites? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having way too much fun. You know, it's like, you got the history. How many? 400 years of Klaus Andex and What are you guys, one or two years now? A uh, year and change. Yeah. Yeah. What was the first beer that you guys made, you know, licensed commercially? Uh, we brew a pale ale. It's called Naysayer Pale Ale. It's hoppy. Again, it's American-style pale ale. And um, we brew probably twice as much of that as anything else. We we can't, we we fly through it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, everybody's into wheat beer to an hour side. And uh, that's an ale as well. And um, that seems to be the most popular thing in America. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have a question. Why is there so many ho- so much hops in the American microbrews? I mean, my, my, one of my theories is that you guys don't get enough weed to smoke, so you have to, <laughs> you have to put the hops into the beer, because it's the same family, by the way, for all of you people who don't know that, uh, um, cannabis and hops is the same family of plants. So that's my question. Yeah? So I have a theory. I became addicted to hot sauce recently, and I need everything hotter and hotter and hotter. And I feel like hops are the same way, where like you, you get a taste for it, and you realize that it's got a delicious floral grapefruit. You know the the the, the, the flavors you can throw out on hops, so that the terms for it, the, the the terminology for it is so deep. Tangerine, you know, you can get citrus, pineapple. You know, it, it's crazy. But once you get a taste for it, you just want more and more and more and more, and it just doesn't end. Kind of like cannabis. No comment. <laughs> well, I, I think the other thing is that, you know, with American beer, I think that hops is kind of what made American beer in the Pacific Northwest and California. Definitely. And that's the, when you think of American beer. That, also in New York, we, we've, we've been exposed to Belgian and, and German beers. I think that people have tried to emulate the West Coast hops. And there's a long story behind it, but I think that one trend I'm seeing is the opposite. I'm trying to see that people are appreciating malt more. So, uh, you know, we've had some 6%, you know, malty Czech lagers, for example, that, that have a different mouthfeel. But I think people want the mouthfeel, and whether it's some smoked, smoked malt or, or something else. So I feel like that – I think that, that now American craft palate, people are ready to grow. But, but I don't I know also, how you feel about that. I also think that um, American trends go – well, American craft beer drinkers drink in trends. And um, it's a good thing because I do too. So right now, like the session pale ale is very four percent hoppy, but still drinkable. That's like a trend now. A couple years ago, it was like the most extreme I- double IPAs you can get, and it's kind of interesting to see how people drink. And as a small, yeah, we drink what we brew what we want to drink, and we have the liberty of doing that because we're so small. And um, so now it's like. Yes, people are very into hops, so we always have a very hoppy beer. But then again, we have people who drink our naysayer pale ale, 5.2% nicely hopped West Coast hops, taste citrusy, but that's our best seller. So it it really depends on the drink. And that's drinker. the least hoppy? 
That's no, 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 no. no. We actually have an English style strong ale that's seven point three, but it's no hops. Fifteen IBUs. It's very light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and but that also goes well. It really depends on, and and it's good to have variety because you know, like we have our three mainstays. It's a coffee porter. It's a pale ale. And it's the English strong, so we have that variety. But we also get to play around. So, yes, we have seasonals. We like to call them occasionals because people really like diversity. And it's it's like he can be a chef in the kitchen. If you go to the same restaurant every week and they have the same specials, you're going to get bored. So it's yeah. like playing around. Yeah, which is, which is awesome and amazing and exciting and all of the rest of it. Because this is America and that's why we all came here. Because it's the new world and that's where everything works differently. I just came back from Ireland and England and uh, I drank so much Guinness. Oh my God, I, I hate Guinness. But I, I drank so much Guinness in Ireland. It's unbelievable. It's so much better over there than it is over here, which they all say. But English and Irish beers are really not that good, in my opinion. I actually rather drink the American really hoppy stuff. And by the way, your guys' stuff is so much better than what they sell here on the bar. You should talk to them. <laughs> um, yeah. Definitely. So it is the Germans versus the Americans. <laughs> no, 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 not versus, not versus. I'm here 23 equal. years. I and I could have not opened what I opened over here back home. I think would have been much more difficult. And uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, it's a country of opportunities. You know, I, I do love Jim Schneider, and we're definitely going to have you back, Sylvester. But tell us, go back. Let's do it. When did you open Zum Schneider, and how did you, how did you make that happen? It's very easy. Year two thousand. I came to America in the year nineteen ninety, and in year two thousand, I opened Zum Schneider. I go by ten years. What'd you do for ten years? <laughs> Prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a ten year anniversary. My father came over from Germany, and he fell off the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And in rushing duck. Uh, you guys also, thanks for coming on. Tell us some of the top accounts. You guys are selling mostly in the Hudson Valley. I looked at on your website. Uh, what are some of the top bars in the Hudson Valley that we can find your beers at? Yeah, um, most of our accounts are in the Hudson Valley uh, just because we want to be as local as possible. And that's our backyard. That's our home. So I want people to understand where we're coming from. So, I mean, we're from Chester. So in Chester, there's Touch Base uh, Sports Bar. There's Christopher's Bistro. In Warwick, there's Eddie's. Then you have places like the Hop and Beacon, um, Birdsall House in, uh, in Peekskill. And then up in Albany, you have Beer Abbey. You have The Ruck. I mean, all these good beer bars, they just embrace it, and that's what they live off of. They they focus on beer, and they just they love it. And people go there because they know they can try amazing craft beer from all over the country, American craft beer mostly, at these places. And um, yeah, I, we've they they helped us succeed and helped us to get the word out. We don't have a very big um, advertising budget; it's just the two of us. So like, they spread the word. Put us on Twitter, put us on Facebook, you know, and really did the social media out there. Do you guys so. wish that you had some priests working for you, like Luster? <laughs> well, I had. Well, do, do priests work for free? That's the first question. <laughs> <laughs> is that why the beer is so good? You have free labor. <laughs> well, I, being a two-person uh, startup, you kind of have free labor too. Uh, we've we've had friends help us from the very beginning. A lot of people work for free beer. 
It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the Free Beer for Life Club. We had our whole floors done and everything. So. <laughs> and Jen, have you checked out any uh, breweries in the Hudson Valley, or mostly in New York City? Peak Skill, right? Yeah, Peak Skill is awesome. They're yeah, amazing. They're, they're a great brewery. They're one of my favorites. Um, but how long has there been a craft beer scene, like a con- like a real craft beer scene in the Hudson Valley? Would you say? Well, uh, in Orange County, we're actually the only the second brewery that's ever opened in Orange County. Wow. It's us in Newburgh, and Newburgh opened in April, and we opened in August. Right. So um, there's a lot of uh, education as far as like what craft beer is. But as far as the Hudson Valley, like we have people like Peekskill and Captain Lawrence that have been around for a really long time that set that precedent there. Definitely. Actually, the Hudson Valley is kind of a hidden gem. Um, the the bar scene in the Hudson Valley is as good as the New York as New York City. It's just more spread out. A lot of people don't realize um, the culinary Culinary Institute is up in uh, what town is that? Uh, Hyde Park. Hyde Park. Yeah. So a lot of chefs are opening uh, restaurants, and naturally beer pairs so well with food that a lot of these fantastic restaurants have world-class beer and it's it's actually a really great scenery now yeah that's great all right and let's wrap it up laura's um want to say anything else i mean we've got these great let's just the last couple of beers we had why don't you tell us about that because they're really terrific we, beers we, we were trying Andres. some of the uh the 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 hefeweizen and the uh regular hefeweizen and the hellas hefeweizen and, and the the dark hefeweizen which are both ales of um, you know the one of the few ales of Germany that that are very well known, and um, I think the Dunkelhefeweizen that we're trying right now, you you'll agree that it's a it's a different structure. It's very uh, malty and very uh, heavy, and it doesn't have that banana flavor that you would see or, or taste in a lot of the other German Hefeweizen, and that's on purpose. The uh, they so specifically. I, I, are you selling all these beers now in the states, or only at some Schneider? In Bali, at some Schneider, <laughs> <laughs> everything is available at some Schneider. Uh, we are selling the uh, the bottles uh, all around the country, and and we the, the draft just because we we don't have enough. I mean, we, we just started with very limited supply, so there's uh, very few places. And in New York City, only some Schneider has the draft available. Yeah? I'm, I'm going to make a toast to uh, Padre Valentin, who came from Andex, but also to Yay! Sylvester from Zum Schneider because you know, he really, he's one of the, the legends of the New York City beer scene uh, because of Zum Schneider, many of us... Let's ask Padre Valentin, what's his favorite beer? What's your favorite Andex beer? It's not here. <laughs> oh, it's not here, okay. Still, I'd, I'd like we to have, know. We have seven uh, beers... And the Hefeweizen since uh, 1993, since 20 years ago. But um, the best is uh, Bock Hell. It's not here. So the best is still to come. Yeah. <laughs> the Hell is Bock. Yeah. Yes. It's a special Bock beer. But cheers to you. And, and, and Sylvester, really, cheers to you, man. So, yeah. Schneider, you're great. You're going to be back on. Rushing Duck, Jen from Girls Pints Out, everybody. Good luck, okay. guys. And we've got to say a few more words before we go. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. And Beer Sessions Radio, supported by the Good Brazil. As always, go to Twitter at, at beer underscore sessions, and uh, we'll tweet you back. So thanks to Nikki, Jen, Peter, Sylvester, Lars, and others for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Maggie Seiden, and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Assassins Radio. All right. Everybody say cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.